Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the film Sabaya, Hogir Harori examines the brutality and the savagery that has been directed towards the Yazidi people. The film opens with an examination of the Al-Ul camp in northeastern Syria. It is considered to be one of the most dangerous refugee camps in the Middle East. It is situated amidst a volatile political and military reality where Daesh is still omnipresent. It is over the course of five years that we follow this story. Daesh has killed thousands of Yazidis in the Sinjar province of Iraq and abducted thousands of Yazidi women and girls to be held and sold as sex slaves, or as they're called, sabaya. The brave men and women of the Yazidi Home Center, and that includes Mahmoud and Zayad, and other volunteers who go into this camp, the Al-Ol camp, in order to rescue these Yazidi women who are being held captive by allies of Daesh. It's a remarkable film. Again, the film is called Sabaya, and we're joined today by the director, Hogir Hirori, as well as the producer, Antonio Miranda. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Where did the idea for this film come from? Uh, Sabaya är den tredje filmen av den trilogin som jag gjort efter flickan som räddade mitt liv och Daddy Miner. Uh, och uh, allt det här började när IS attackerade Sinjar provinsen 2014. Uh, Sabaya is the third film that I've made in a trilogy of documentaries. The first one was The Girl Who Saved My Life and the second one was The D-Miner. And everything started when ISIS attacked the Sinjar province in 2014. Redan när jag gjorde min första film så hörde jag ganska mycket om de här tjejerna som var kidnappade av IS som IS hade använt dem som sexslavar. Already when I started making my first film I heard a lot about uh, different family members of girls and women of families being kidnapped by ISIS and used as like sex slaves. Men det som chockade mig mest av allting var namnet Sabaya som, som jag inte hörde hört talas om tidigare att IS kallar dem för Sabaya. För där i Irak, Kurdistan, är det inga som kallar dem för sabaya. De är jesiska tjejer som är tillfångatagna av IS. Men däremot, eh, bland IS och i alla andra områdena så, så heter de sabaya som IS har tagit. What shocked me the most was the, the name that they were called, sabaya. Because in Iraqi Kurdistan, nobody calls them sabaya. They're just Yazidi girls that have been kidnapped. But um, ISIS in Syria, they call them sabaya. Which is another term for sex slave, is that correct? Det är egentligen, sabaya är tjejer som IS kan använda dem som egendom, som kan utnyttja dem till att vara sexslaver och också städerskor hemma, ta hand om deras barn, om de har andra fruar, flera fruar, så de gör allt med dem. Sabaya is a term used for girls that ISIS feels they have the right to use as their property, as their own. And they can do chores, everything from cleaning their house, watching their children, cooking for them, and also being used as sex slaves. And the rationale is because they're um, not—they're non-believers by their account, right? 
Är det för att de är icke-troende, Hågir? Uh, vad sa du? Just... För att de är icke-troende på islam. Därför känner IS att de har ja, rätt att göra det. Eftersom Yazidin har en annan religion som, som är Yazidismen och IS ser dem som djävulstyrkare och därför känner de att de har rätt till att förslava de här tjejerna och döda deras familjer, män i familjerna. The Yazidis have their own religion. It's called Yazidism. And uh, ISIS believes that since they don't believe in, in Islam, uh, then they're devil worshippers and thereby they're traitors of the religion of Islam and uh, ISIS has the right to use them um, in the name of religion as their sex slaves. Antonio, where did you come into the project? How did you become part of this? Uh, I, you know, I worked with um, Hogger on the previous film, the D minor, uh, and that was, uh, uh, yeah, we had a very creative collaboration, and you know, the film uh, also, well, we were also very happy with the with that film. And during actually the shooting of, of the D minor, Hogger mentioned to me this new project that he was kind of, you know, thinking about about those young women, you know, that were kidnapped and uh, kept as sex slaves. And um, so he kind of, you know, started to work uh, with that during, you know, the previous film. And um, then, you know, he kind of uh, immediately convinced me that this was going to be as powerful, if, if, if not even more powerful story and more urgent story to tell. So, I mean, I was immediately interested and uh, joined him in this new adventure that was that turned to be much more difficult than we ever expected. But it's, it was worth every second and every sacrifice. I would say. As the producer of the film, as one of the producers of the film, is one of your responsibilities is to, because it looks like Hogir uh, uh, was very at, at risk constantly, as are the people who are going into these camps to try and save these women. How do you ensure his safety? Is that part of what you try to, <laughs> as a producer, to make sure he's he's in a safe place and he's able to do what he? You know, I I must be honest. Uh, we had um, you know we went through a lot of uh, scenarios and we prepared emergency plans for you know I don't know how many uh, a bunch of them. But I to be honest, I don't think any of those plans would have worked. Uh, so I I've been I was I've never been so worried in my life. Uh, I spent so many sleepless nights and then just you know, waiting for getting some contact from Hoggy. But of course, at the same time, I knew Hoggy you know, knows the area, you know, he, he speaks the language, he had, he had strong contacts. And so the only thing I could do is to uh, strongly recommend him. He's, he's an adult, so I can't do anything else than that to follow the, uh, you know, the, the instructions, uh, if not the orders from the Kurdish security forces that, that are guarding the El Ol camp uh, at any at any time, you know, uh, and really strictly following those. Uh, and um, because I felt that could definitely, you know, uh, help. Uh, although the, the, the guards itself themselves never really could guarantee 100% the, the safety of anybody, not even themselves. So, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, as I said, this was the most stressful, uh, <laughs> you know, production ever. And, to, and, and I have to be, again, very honest about one thing that uh, at a certain point, I really felt that the risk that Hoggy was taking were so high that I was almost, you know, on my way to basically 
tell him, listen, we have we cannot continue. Uh, you know, the shooting is too dangerous. But I'm very happy I never uh, did that because uh, you know the film was was too urgent to be stopped. We needed to complete, and I think that's became you know our obsession despite all the dangers. Well, in the in the film, it appears that there is some level of protection that that the the people who are, are going into the camps do have, particularly among the female troops that apparently are all in the camp that uh, are in charge of some level of protection for people coming in there. But it from for most of the film, it looks like it's a very very open area. Something that if someone was determined to attack, it would be difficult to stop. So. It's that part of the film is just remarkable. And not only were we talking about Hoger, but also the the people that you focus the film on, uh, Zayed, as well as Ma Mahmoud, who are unbelievable. And I want to direct this question to uh, Hoger um, in, in regards to how did you get to know them? How did they come into this project? Efter varje film som jag gjorde där nere och kom tillbaka så sa jag att det här kommer att vara min sista inspelningsdag och jag kommer aldrig mer åka ner för att ta, göra en ny inspelning eller en ny film. Men sen kom efter ett tag så började jag med ett nytt och samma sak var det med Sabaya. After every film that I made, I swore to myself that this would be the last film that I made and I would never put myself in a dangerous situation like this again and I would focus on my life in Sweden instead. And that was the case with Sabaya as well. Och Sabaya var egentligen en idé som var från början utvecklat av min fru som också är journalist. Så tanken var att vi tillsammans skulle göra den här filmen men situationen förändrades ganska mycket i landet och det blev för farligt att vi två skulle åka ner. So initially this was my wife's idea. She's a reporter and a journalist herself. So she suggested that we do this film together and we were going to go down together to film and to do research but um, eventually I decided to go down by myself uh, at first and the situation proved to be just too dangerous for the both of us to go down together. Och på plats så träffade jag först Ziat. Jag hade hört talas om Ilskehemsamtidigt sedan tidigare men hade aldrig pratat med någon där eller sett någon där. Så jag träffade Ziat och sen via honom så träffade jag Mahmoud och efter några dagar så frågade jag dem om det var okej okay att jag dokumenterade det här. Och de trodde först att jag skulle göra bara ett litet reportage och gå därifrån. Så so during my first trip that I went down to Syria I met Ziad and I became very interested in their work and uh, through him I met Mahmoud and uh, after a couple of, couple of days of uh, observing them and talking to them I asked them if I could document their work. Um, so at first they thought that I would just do a couple of interviews uh, and then leave. Och sen när de såg att jag skulle vara där mycket längre tid så fick de lite panik att jag, för de kände inte mig, jag kände inte dem sedan tidigare. Det var svårt för dem att lita på någon helt plötsligt komma in i deras liv och deras arbete. I det här fallet var det jag. Then they realized that I actually meant that I wanted to stay with them for, for quite a long time and follow them during maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And uh, they were very skeptical in the beginning. They, um, they didn't really want anybody to disturb their, their working process and they thought it was too dangerous for me and also for, for them if, I, if they would have a sort of camera crew following them around. 
Men med tiden så lärde vi känna varandra mycket bra och vi började lita på varandra mer och mer. Dels för att det var viktigt för processen men också för, för vår säkerhet. Utan att vi skulle lita på varandra så kunde det vara en risk för varandra också. But within a short, very short time, we actually grew uh, to become very good friends and established a, a very close relationship. And we had to trust each other because of safety reasons. If we didn't trust each other's decisions uh, and followed each other's judgment, then uh, things could become dangerous. So we, we established a good and close relationship. Yeah. What a reminder, listeners, we're speaking with the director as well as the producer of this incredible documentary film called Sabaya, that would be Hogir Orori, as well as Antonio Morenda. And the film opens here in Los Angeles on July 30th, and uh, it is a remarkable film. I want to talk a lot actually about the, the women that you're going in to rescue the Yazidi women who have uh, some incredibly brutal and horrible stories to tell, but it is through the, the through the bravery and through the courage of Zayed and Mahmoud that we get to know their story and in this incredible refugee camp of Alho, uh, refugee camp, and I'm not sure how many people are actually there. Uh, you know, 73,000. 70,000. Incredible. And, and to go into this camp with all kinds of terrible possibilities by just walking into this camp that could befall uh, Zayad and Mahmoud, they go in and they get these women out. It's an incredible story. And a little bit about the Yazidi uh, and what happened to them during the course of this last few years. Ska jag prata om tjejerna, Hanna? Nej, du ska prata om vad som hände med Yazidierna sedan 2014. Yazidierna blev attackerade på grund av sin religion 2014. Och många familjer, väldigt många familjer förstördes, männen dödades, barnen användes som legosoldater och tjejerna användes som sexslaverna på grund av deras religion. They were attacked first in, in 2014 and uh, the men in the families were killed and uh, the children were used as soldiers uh, by ISIS and the women and girls were kidnapped. Och de som lyckades fly först hamnade, blev omringade av IS på en berg. De var utan mat och dryck i väldigt många dagar. Många av dem dog av hunger och törst på bergen. Many of them uh, managed to escape and they were surrounded by ISIS uh, on the mountain, on the shingle mountains. And were without food and water and resources for a very long time. And many of them died of, of thirst uh, and hunger. De som lyckades till slut räddas, blev bli räddade, eh, bor fortfarande idag i flyktingsläger i Iraks Kurdistan, de flesta av dem, eftersom deras hem blev ruiner, hem och hemstäderna, byarna. But those who survived, uh, they still today live in refugee camps because they don't have a home to go back to. Their homes were destroyed by ISIS. Um, so many, most of them live in, in refugee camps still. Och de här tjejerna också som räddas, många av dem går till sina familjer om de har någon kvar i familjerna i de här flyktingslägerna i Raksa Kurdistan. And many of the girls that are rescued by the Yazidi Home Center uh, return to their families that live in Iraqi Kurdistan, but they also live in a, in a refugee camp. Antonio, 
Well, I'm sure as you well remember that drama as it played out of those Yazidis trapped in that mountaintop and the whole world seemed to be watching with some degree, it seemed of an inability to affect what was going to happen. I, 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 it's a little bit um, hazy in my mind as to what the options were. You, you obviously remember all of those things happening. What, what was your reaction as you're watching it? Is this some, is this, did you feel like in addition to the tragedy that was unfolding, that there was a story that needed to be told in, in this? Well, I mean, the, um, when the attack uh, took place was the actual the night between the 3rd and the 4th of August, 2014. Uh, I uh, already knew, I knew Ogil already uh, at that time. And uh, he, I think he, he left immediately. I think it was one, I, I remember this, uh, this kind of, you know, I could, I still remember this kind of picture that uh, came into my mind when Hoge uh, described his, uh, his journey down because he left, I think it was already on the 4th or the 5th of August. Uh, and he took a plane from Stockholm. Uh, and he was, I think, uh, if I remember well, Hoge, you can correct me, of course. Mm. You were only like three, four people flying down because of course nobody was going, you know, to the area. And so, and it was not, it was so realistic. You know, you, you take a plane and you're almost by yourself and you, you know, and it, all, it really reminds you that you're doing something that, you know, might be actually, uh, it might cost you very much and, and, and a very high price. And uh, so, I mean, I, I remember it was incredible uh, brave of Hoggy already, you know, when he made his first film, you know about uh, you know the the he just couldn't you know kind of uh, uh, he couldn't do anything else you know I mean he had you know he had a small child you know he had his wife his family but he just felt he was he was he was he basically was forced to go that to go down there you know because he, I mean he, everything that happened I mean Jorge can describe this much better than than I am doing now. It just reminded him about his own trauma as a, you know, as a refugee, uh, you, know, you know, from his childhood and you know, youthhood. Because he, he went through this similar experiences, you know, uh, many times because you know, with millions of Kurds during all the persecutions and you know, uh, from Saddam Hussein and you know, and uh, even later on. So that was a, you know, as I said, I mean, I mean, I have an, a deep admiration for you know, Hogi's, uh engagement in the Yazidi faith and how he really, you know, felt this extreme, you know, strong need to, you know, to be there when everything was happening because nobody was going. And at the same time, what I also, uh, you know, respect Hogir extremely much for is this kind of a strong desire that he has to, I would define, to correct or clarify Western media narrative on the area. And uh, you know, we've you know, I mean, he, he must be fed up about you know reading or what stories or watching stories, you know, you know, kind of in a very different sort of uh, uh, different way. So I think he has this kind of a strong uh, wish to and strong need to really you know modify that that Western media narrative that you know really needs to be modified. So and that's what he's doing so well in his films. Well, Hogir is fortunate to have a partner like you to to be able to support him. And, and all these cinematic endeavors and these, in these truth-telling endeavors that he's embarked upon. And the reason I wanted to talk about this particular part of what has unfolded in what was Kurdistan or Kurd, the Kurdish part of Iraq is because this is really the origin story for what we see in, in Sabaya. And, and so, um, Holger, let's talk a little bit about that trip 
into to that mountain where those Yazidis were were in danger, uh, obviously mortal danger. Uh, what was going through your mind when you're on that plane? And once you hit the ground, what is what was what what confronted you once you got there? Min fru var gravid när jag åkte ner bestämde mig för att åka ner den kvällen. Jag hade redan packat min väska när jag berättade för min fru att jag skulle åka ner. My wife was uh, very much pregnant uh, with our first child when I decided to go down, but I had already packed my bag when I decided to tell her that I was that, going. För mig var det så här innan hela min barndom var det krig och oroligheter. Jag hade stängt av alla de där dörrarna, de där minnena. Jag ville inte tänka på den tiden längre. Men när det här hände, jag blev ju jättechockad av det här skulle kunna hända igen i modern tid och världen var så tyst om det. I have experienced these kinds of traumas and, and these consequences of war during my whole childhood. And when I came to Sweden, I just wanted to forget that and block that out and not talk about it, not think about it. But I was really shocked when this happened again in 2014, in modern time, the same things were repeating themselves again. Jag har fortfarande mina minnen från min hemstad, mina barndomsvänner, jag har mina föräldrar, mina syskon som bor i en stad där IS var ungefär 25 kilometer från att komma in i staden när jag åkte ner. I still have memories of um, uh, ISIS being in uh, about 25 kilometers from the, the town where my parents were living and my brother and um, in my hometown. Så för mig var det jätteviktigt att åka ner bara och ta bilder, ta några video och lägga det på sociala medier egentligen var tanken från början för att uppmärksamma situationen för att jag var jättehockad att ingen i världen pratade om den här händelsen första dagen. So what I wanted to do was from the beginning just to go down and uh, take a couple of pictures, a couple of videos and put things on social media because I was I was really shocked that nobody in the world seemed to be reacting to this. Nobody seemed to be covering it and, and doing anything about it. Jag hoppades på med min kamera att en massaker som var på väg att den skulle inte ske för att jag, jag kände på mig att det här är på väg att hända nu och det hände ju redan folk har sågade på 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 öppna gator. And I, as I was documenting things with my camera uh, I was just really hoping that this massacre that was about to happen was not going to happen um, because people were being uh, beheaded on the open street uh, right in front of our eyes. Och de, det som också chockerade mig ganska mycket var alla de här historierna som jag hördes på plats. Alla människor som jag träffade. När de började prata om sin historia, om vad som har hänt dem. Jag kunde ju resten av historien, de kunde ha bara sagt början. För det här var precis de historier som hände under min tid när jag var barn. Och det är precis de historier som min pappa har berättat för mig. Om när han var ung och barn som har hänt honom. Och hans pappa har berättat för honom. And all these people that I met when I was down there. And when they started telling me their stories, what they had gone through and experienced, they just needed to say the first part and I could already finish the end and fill in the rest. Because these things are the exact same things that have happened during my childhood to me and things that have happened to my father that, and my father has told me about them and my grandfather even that has told my, um, my family about them. So these are the exact same things that are happening yet again. There are a couple of things I want to cover before we, we have to say goodbye, but one is an editorial comment on my part. The treatment of the Kurds over these last several decades probably goes back a lot further than that. 
the treatment uh, within Turkey of the Kurds, the U.S. abandonment of the Kurds in, in, its, in its most dire need, the hour of its most dire need. It's just a, it's a, it's a stain on our, in our country for the way that we have not responded to the plight of the Turkey, of the Kurdish people. And I just, uh, just wanted to say that. And the invasion of Iraq was a disaster. All of the things that have happened since then are, have just been worse and worse and worse. And we bear a tremendous amount of responsibility for what we, what we see happening to this day in, in that part of the world. I want to acknowledge the women who go into these camps, the infiltrators uh, who go back into these camps, which for the life of me, I, that, I can't imagine the courage that that takes. Talk a little bit about these women who go back, who have gone into Al-Hol uh, and, and, and to find Yazidi, young Yazidi women. Yes, I'm going to say of several different types of infiltrators that in film för deras säkerhet inte ta med de andra som fortfarande jobbar där. Men att vi fokuserade lite grann på de här som tidigare var Sabaya som kom tillbaka. The Yazidi Home Center uses different types of infiltrators and we chose to focus on this type that we see in the documentary. Those that voluntarily return uh, to go into the camp again uh, that have been Sabaya previously. Um, we couldn't show the work being done by the other type of film infiltrator because that would mean uh, we would risk their safety. Och de här tjejerna är de som själva frivilligt väljer att komma tillbaka för att rädda de andra iska tjejer som de har träffat under den tiden de själva var Sabaya. Och de vet själva vilket helvete de har gått igenom och vad deras liv har förändrats idag efter att de har räddat. Så det de försöker göra att hitta sina vänner eller andra jazidier som de känner igen. So these uh, infiltrators are women that have been Sabaya previously and they volunteer to become infiltrators to go back to save their friends that they knew when they were in captivity. And these girls, they know the hell that these uh, girls that are still in captivity are going through. And uh, they feel the need to tell them how much better their life has become uh, after they have been rescued. Och det mode som de har går inte att beskriva med ord. För jag själv var jättechockade när de tog steg för steg in i lägret. Och jag undrade hela tiden, kommer de vända tillbaka och kanske komma tillbaka? Men det gjorde de inte. De gick in och in igen. And the courage of these women astounded me and impressed me so much. I was always waiting for them to turn around and go back and not take those steps into the camp. But they just kept going determined to go in. It's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable and the courage it took. I can't even imagine what it what it what it took for them to go back in there. Obviously they care very much for the people that were left behind. I want to thank everyone involved in this film. Uh, it is, as I said, it's a remarkable documentary film. And we've been talking with the director, Hoger Erori, as well as the producer, Antonio Russo Miranda. And also I want to acknowledge our translator, Hannah Valenta, who's been wonderful. Thank you so much to all of you for the work you've done on Sabaya. The film opens here in Los Angeles this Friday, July 30th. So be looking forward, award-winning film to all of you. Continue your great work. And I look forward to another conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you Thank so you. much for having us. Thank, Thank you. you.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.